0: Welcome to another edition of the Ampere Studios podcast. We're here at Ampere Computing in downtown Portland. We're on the waterfront in the new district called Frontside, overlooking the historic Fremont Bridge. My name is Mahesh Madhav. I'm an engineer here at Ampere Computing, and I'm joined here today by our summer intern, Tony Faubert, who joins us from the University of Washington, where he's going to be a senior this upcoming fall, and he's getting his degree in electrical engineering. Welcome, Tony. And we're also joined by John Perry, who is a senior principal engineer here at Ampere Computing. He leads the design and logic effort for one of our new projects. Then welcome John. Hey, how's it going? Today, we're going to have a conversation between Tony and John. We're going to talk about career aspirations and engineering, and you know, we'll see where this conversation goes. So I'm going to let Tony take it away. All right. To start, how
1: about
2: what's your position at the company? What have you been doing recently? All right. So I am, like Mahesh said, I'm on the logic team. I'm the uh, manager of the memory subsystem inside the CPU that we're building. And I uh, also am one of the microarchitects in the memory subsystem. So I'm doing sort of doing the load store unit and I'm managing the, the level two cache load store unit, memory management unit, and all uh, that area.
0: I know at a lot of other companies people tend to have very distinct roles. They do logic or they do validation. You said you
2: do microarchitecture and logic and all these other things. Yeah, one of the uh one of the things that I tell every person, every everyone I interview that is looking for a job, I tell them this that one of the best parts of working at Ampere is that you get to wear many hats. While in a previous job in a lar- much larger company, I was strictly logic RTL development and the microarchitect was a different person and the, you know, performance architecture team, microarchitects worked together and then we implemented what they told us to implement. At Ampere, I have much more of an influence on the microarchitecture of the CPU just because we have a smaller team and it lets us make more nimble decisions and it lets, you know, it's it's really a great opportunity for personal growth. I've learned a lot in many of my jobs over my career, but in the last, you know, year and change that I've been here at Ampere, I've probably learned the most I have in the last, like, more than I have in the last five years, say. Nice. What got you interested
1: in computer
2: architecture in the first place? So back when I was much younger and I was uh, I was applying to college, I was visiting colleges, I, I always thought that I was getting into computer science. And um, I remember when I was at the engineering open house at Virginia Tech before, I believe this was after I decided to go there, but before I started, I went to a presentation with one of my buddies about computer engineering. And I realized that, oh, you know, like hardware design seems really cool. And it seemed like there was a lot of, it it, it was the fact that it was so multidisciplinary and like broad it was really, really interesting to me. So I just kind of, uh, I just switched right then. And then I kind of didn't look back. And I always, I, I started out by doing some work with a very, very small company. Like I was co oping and interning with a really small company building ASICs. And it was, these chips were small enough that I could build the whole, do the entire backend design by myself in like, l- like more than one chip over my internship. And, that's when I realized, oh well, I really want to get into the architecture part, because this gets a little like it's, it was good work to do backend design. I like backend design, but I really wanted to see the whole vertical picture of what I'm building. Yeah So after that, I, I took whatever architecture classes I could, I tried to get into as much microarchitecture as I could at jobs, and um, you know, eventually here I am today.: <laughs> For me, it kind of started
1: a little bit before I went to UDub. I learned of the existence of FPGAs. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a Papilio 1 little kind of, it's the it's the FPGA equivalent of an Arduino, basically. And started messing around with that. I didn't get very far with it because I just really didn't know what I was doing. And then quite a bit later at UW, I took intro to digital logic design or intro to digital logic and we used an Altera FPGA and that professor, Scott Hauck is my favorite professor at UW now. So I really loved that class.
0: It's cool that you're able to use FPGAs for your logic design. Cause I know John and I probably came up through the world where we had to breadboard everything yeah. and put all the wires in a rat's nest back and forth. So, on the logic. so
2: back when, back when I was there uh, at school, we had we had projects that we did with with EEPROM, and <laughs> yeah. uh, I believe we had one really small FPGA project, and that was that was pretty much it. And what I learned was how much easier it is to synthesize something and write it onto an FPGA than wire up a bunch of 7400 chips yeah. over in the middle of the night. So. You know,
0: yeah. There's a kid in our class who, who did a, a kind of a senior project uh, and he, he flashed onto this EE prom. And then he, he took it and he walked across campus to his professor's office to, to showcase his, his project. And he started it up and it didn't work. Oh, He walked know,
1: outside in the UV light. Yes. Oh So the UV light had
0: had <laughs> cleared completely cleared his his logic and and it the, didn't know what was happening. Then the professor queried him and like, "Oh, you got to go back and flash it again and cover it when you walk over."
1: <laughs> yeah. So kind con- of continuing what I was saying. So took that digital logic class. Really liked it. Learned about timing, <laughs> which I probably <laughs> should have known. Then I understood kind of. The difference between non-blocking and blocking assignments in Verilog, which is also kind of important to be able to do anything properly. Anyways, later he was offering a intro to computer architecture class and I got into that and took that. That was my favorite class I've ever taken at UW. I just, I don't know, that stuff just really clicks with me and it's just my favorite thing to do.
0: Was part of that the the instructor who was able to excite yeah. you? Okay.
1: Yeah. Part of it was Scott Hawk being fantastic and the other part of it was just, this is like, this is
2: just my my jam. Yeah.
0: Very nice. John, do you have any mentors like that <laughs> that,
2: that excited you? So I, I think when I went through school, I had some really, really good professors and the, but the thing about, uh, the professors that I had was for the most part, they weren't in computer architecture. So I, I did a really cool project in power engineering that I was really like when we got it to work, I was really proud of it. It was like uh, we we measured the frequency of the AC uh, in the wall with like a very, very slow microcontroller. Just like the algorithm, the algorithm to actually to be able to measure frequency with a 25 megahertz microcontroller was was pretty neat. We we ended up putting it in this box and getting money from the NSF to, you know, to build a bunch of these and try to put them in various power plants across the country. And it was – the professor was really cool. She really, like, let me explore – sort of let me be in charge, right, and do do what I want. Like, I was a research assistant, but she was like – she said, you know, go do whatever whatever it takes to get this done. You know, didn't micromanage whatever, and it. it, I think it was one of the things that, between that and my first job at the small company where my boss let me do an entire entire chip by myself, it really made me realize how much I valued being able to be self-directed. As much as I really loved parts of my previous job, and you know, I was there for whatever thirteen years, so a long time. So obviously, I enjoyed a lot of it. One of the one of the frustrating things was that with teams that are so big, it was just it was very hard to even grasp the full picture because there were sort of all these competing forces to maintain their little fiefdom of ownership of whatever this part of the design is or this part of the architecture or this part of whatever. Since I've been an ampere, those sort of things don't exist and It's a little, the knowledge is a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. There's like more knowledge than you can handle. But given the choice between more knowledge you can handle and then like a constant struggle to try to understand the big picture, I'll certainly take the fire hose.
0: Yeah, it seems like we have a bunch of people here who thrive with a green field and the opportunity to just go off and do something great without being held back by the
2: bureaucracy. It's not necessarily always easy. And it's a different challenge, and it's a – and I won't pretend that, like, as much as I like it, I won't pretend that it's always been really easy for me and everything is rainbows and unicorns every day or whatever. But it's so much more rewarding than being directed to do a thing and just doing it that it is, at least for me, well worth the sort of how do I solve – the stress of, oh, I have this giant problem and how do I solve it, right?
1: On that topic – What's a problem that you've had to...
2: What's a, a s- serious problem that you've had to solve? So when you're building a CPU, you're building a CPU from scratch effectively, you know, whatever that means, right? There's a lot of different definitions of from scratch, but we'll say from scratch. Uh, when you're building a CPU from scratch, you don't have legacy to rely on for thing for no even knowing how things are supposed to work. And building an ARM CPU... You aren't. You have an ARM spec and it's – the current one is probably 7,000 some pages. <laughs> and while I've spent some time reading the ARM spec, I certainly have not spent time reading the 7,000 pages of it. And I'd say that generally one of the biggest challenges – and this is especially true of the memory subsystem because the memory subsystem has so much architecture spec behind it that – One of the biggest challenges is really just compartmentalizing the things that you need to know right now versus the the things that you need to know later, and not just losing track of them, but making sure that you don't get, you know, making sure that you don't get overwhelmed with, well, I need to understand these entire 7,000 pages right now. And that's a very different, it's a very different problem than a lot of people are used to. But it is, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really big, really big challenge.
1: Yeah, so trying to take that to the fire hose analogy, it's like somebody spraying a fire hose into a bunch of little cups, and while catching some of the drips of water in your cups, you have to also remember where some of the other important ones went into some other cups on the ground or something like that.
2: Yeah, and I think that devising a strategy to, there's no way you will not miss something. You'll miss something. You can't depend on people to, you can't depend on one person or even a small group of people to, to always, to just figure everything out and check their work and be correct. So understanding and planning a strategy for how to verify, how to verify that you are following the specification for like, you know, which is massive is like a, is a really, really big challenge for a CPU. When you don't have legacy like hey let's look at the way the last one behaved when you, when you don't have as much of that to depend on it becomes uh you know it's it's a pretty it's a pretty daunting challenge but it's also super fun because the part of because not having legacy is also what allows you to take a totally different approach to a problem than the approach you may have taken in a previous role or in a previous company or whatever. What you learn is, or at least what I've learned, is that as because CPU development is complex and takes so long, you tend to lean on legacy an awful lot, and you need to have a certain. There needs to be a certain motivation to make any big change, and before too long, the uh, barrier to making a big change is really, really high. And for us, we don't have that barrier. So it lets you really rethink things that you never – like if I had suggested some of the things – my previous job had suggested some of the things that I – that suggested here, I would have just been laughed out of the room. That's because they might have had 15 years worth of code behind the way things currently work and we, you know, we do not, which is, you know, it's a challenge but it's a good challenge. So I think I have a question for you. Sure. So – So you've been here a couple months now. Yeah, like one month. One month. Okay, one month now. Yeah, Um, exactly. And you're pretty new, you know, pretty new to the industry, pretty new to Ampere. What jumps out at you about working here? What kind of things about either the people, the culture, or you know the way we work? The what jumps out at you?
1: Yeah. So I think the thing that jumps out at me the most is just how. Everybody's just so open and friendly all the time. It's just like Ampere just collected all the best people from everywhere. <laughs> and it's just everybody's so fun to hang out with. And we're here doing this this silly interview thing.
2: Yeah, not to not to interrupt too much, but one of the interesting things about being an Ampere is that I made the decision very soon after the company opened the office in Portland, I decided to apply and made the decision to take a job basically at my earliest opportunity. And it's, you know, not everybody had that same path. For me, I was very like, it was a difficult decision for a couple of days and I thought pretty hard about it. But by the time I was committed, I was committed. I just, you know, I haven't looked back since, right? And one of the things that has been, really awesome especially since I started is to see the company to the company especially in the Portland office grow from when we were out on Broadway with like 10 or 15 people in the office to however many people we have now 70 80 something like that in in Portland office and the type of people that have come has been i think it's been pretty obvious that that there there are people who share a lot of common Views and goals, but are not necessarily it's not necessarily a clique of people, but it's people who want to want their job and their their careers and their company to be a certain way and I actually work with four people from my first team on my first job that i that I had when I moved out to portland, and these are people that I've known for ever since I've been here, people that like, uh, I, when I moved out to Portland at first, I thought I'd be here for a couple of years and that, then I'd go somewhere else, maybe go get a PhD. That's, you know, not going to get a PhD, I don't think. But um, they, they're kind of the people that I met that got me stuck to be out in Portland, well, got me stuck out in Portland. And they're also the people that sit right next to me now. And it's, you know, it's pretty great, really. It's mm-hmm. not something that you can, you can have a lot of different a lot of other places. So yeah. you'd say they have the same ethos? Yeah, I think it's people who want to you said it earlier, a few minutes earlier, Mahesh, like people who want to the opportunity to work and do something great and work with people, work with people who have the same sort of positive attitude of like of that we can do this and that there are it's not easy, but we could, you know, but we can do it because like we're all sort of in it together. There's, you know, there's there's not a it is a It's a much smaller company than a lot of chip companies, but the the sort of unity of purpose is something that I haven't seen many places.
0: One of the things that also strikes me is the humility of everyone around here. They've done work for so long, but they are always willing to lend a hand to to uplift you and uplift others to you know make sure that you are the best version of yourself.
1: Yeah, I've definitely felt that. I guess one of the things that stands out about Ampere, I mean, it's kind of what what you've been saying for a while, is that I've just been kind of like put on something and just given a push. <laughs> and there I go. <laughs> and I I really, I, I appreciate that. I really do. I One of the nice things about Liberty Plugins was it was kind of like that. But the problem with Liberty Plugins is that I just, I was very frequently stuck waiting for somebody, like I I needed somebody else to make a decision on something, or I was waiting to get some information from somebody else for what I should do for this API or something. Here, I just kind of, there's enough going on that I can, if I get stuck on something waiting for somebody, I can either just kind of try to figure it out myself or go in a different direction on something else or there's lots of options lots of useful things to continue working on so i kind of one interesting thing is i kind of stumbled upon ampere i didn't i i almost wouldn't have gotten a job here so after taking that 469 class, that intro to computer computer architecture, I was like, okay, I I want oh, at the same time as taking that class, I was also taking a advanced digital logic class, and in that class we had a a spokesperson from Intel come down and do a guest lecture. And I was Thinking about that time, like, man, I really like digital logic. This is my jam. Computer architecture is really, really cool. I think I want to work at Intel. I was applying to Intel, and my dad worked at Google, and he knew Paul Rodman. And Paul Rodman is a good friend with Bob Colwell, the guy who did Pentium at Intel. So I basically my dad reached out to Bob Colwell and got me a recommendation to Intel. And at the same time, Bob told me, oh, hey, you know, these guys who used to work at Intel, I have this friend, Attic, and he's working at this new company, Ampere. You should apply to there, too. So I ended up applying there, and I came and had an interview with you guys and pretty impressed. It was kind of a difficult decision back when... I hadn't worked here. Now I I look back at that decision and I think I without a doubt I made the right decision. I wouldn't wouldn't have hesitated at all if I knew what I knew now. But back then I like I didn't know very much. And I was just I was looking at Intel versus Ampere and I was thinking, man, I'm having to choose between two really good things. And at this point It's like I don't even really need to think about it too much because if I just choose one at random, I'll be I'll be fine
0: Yeah, I think a a lot of people here have taken that leap of faith as as John was talking about before, you know We started pretty early and there was ten people and we don't know We didn't know what was gonna happen if it was gonna last for more than a year or two years We don't even know now if it's gonna, you know, continue past, you know, the first product, right? But we're we're in it because we enjoy what we do. We love the people that we are surrounded by. There's a chance for us to learn and we have joy learning and teaching others. Yeah. yeah
2: I think the, the leap of faith is easier and harder for different people. And I think that in a lot of ways, even though we joined early, like Mahesh and I joined early, it was a bit easier for us because – I got, you know, when you think about what makes you happy at work, a huge part of what makes you happy at work is the people that you work with and the culture that you're, those people create. And I didn't even have to worry about that part. Like the, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? You know, is it going to be successful? That's a big thing too. But the day-to-day, like coming into work every day, it's a lot about people and culture. And because we sort of had the advantage of knowing of having known some of our, you know, some of our colleagues earlier. And like, what I really want to, what I always try to do with people who don't aren't in the position where they know people that work here already or whatever is I want them. I I try to talk to them about what kind of culture they're looking for and what kind of culture we try to, like, we try to, uh, we're trying to build here What culture. We are building. We're not just trying to build it because that's to me, like, probably a pretty hard part of the leap of faith or it should be hard if you don't think it's hard then think harder i think (laughs) but yeah
1: Yeah, i think that's probably what what finally pushed me towards choosing ampere over intel is that i was thinking about it and i had talked to scott hawk about it and he was saying well Intel's going to be around pretty much forever and ampere may or may not exist next summer so i was thinking Well, when I went and interviewed, I like, I feel really good about Ampere. It's just like, I I felt welcomed. And I didn't want to miss the chance to be part of that if it wasn't around afterwards.
2: So. We're going to be around next summer. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I'm really happy about that because I might want to come back next summer.
2: Well, we'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Depends how good this podcast is. This
0: is all your idea, by the way, Tony. It's, it's because of oh, your absolutely. assignment that we're sitting here doing this silly podcast, as you say.
2: <laughs> maybe one more. Maybe I got one more question for you. Mm-hmm. So... You went through this process and you decided, you know, made your decision of where you should go to work, go to work. Even though it's temporary, it's still a pretty big decision. A lot of people have to make that, you know, a lot of people that are in college, university have to make that decision. Have you learned anything about the way that you decided and the results that you think would help other people that are – in the same position of which, you know, which position should I take? What should I, which company do I want to work for? What do, what do I want to work on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I'd say I definitely have a better feeling of like what I want from a place that I will work at now as for advice. I think trust your gut. I mean, it's, it's cliche, but at, Like, the whole time after having an interview with you guys, I was kind of leaning towards Ampere. Just because, I don't know, I just kind of, I had a feeling. And so, if you have that feeling, don't, don't overthink it too much. It's, I mean, if you think you're going to be happy somewhere, then, I mean, you can try it. The other thing is i'm I feel like I'm a thick skinned person. I wouldn't really mind that much if I was in kind of i feel like i could I could still work reasonably in an environment that people would maybe consider hostile but even though even though I could be somewhere like that, I think it's still worth looking into places like Ampere that have a really great environment because I I don't know I I'm, I'm having a lot more fun here than I expected to. So,
2: I think so I think you bring up I think you bring up a really good point. Not necessarily the exact point about hostility, but I know one of my buddies from from Portland since moved away. He he always used to tell me that his job was just a job. He wanted to just go to work, get paid, Just do, he needed money so he could do things with his life. You know, he wanted to have kids, has kids now. And he just, you know, he wanted to just basically have a job because he needed to. And I don't think that if you, if you ask most people that are here, that's certainly not why they're here. You know, you have, we've had enough people come out of retirement to do this, that they didn't need to, you know, they didn't, they didn't come out here because they needed the money or whatever. But one of the things that I think is really good to ask yourself is are you happy with a job being just a job or do you need it to sort of your work to mean more? And what I realized myself was that, you know, sometimes some of the times at my previous, you know, my previous job, there were times where I was really trying pretty hard to make things work that were sort of doomed and in retrospect, I could have probably just relaxed phoned it in a little more. Everything would have been like the, the end result would have been the same if I phoned it in as it would have been if I really like, you know, poured some blood, sweat and tears into it. But like, I am not built to phone it in at my career. Like that was maybe okay. Like when I was in college and I was working for the hotel for a hotel at the beach or whatever. Yeah. Everybody's phoned it in. Right. But now that I realize that, I need to have some meaning behind what I'm doing. And I'm really not happy working on something that I know isn't going anywhere. And at big companies, m- there are many more projects that can end up not going anywhere. And that can, that can be apparent to everyone working on them long before executives want to admit it. And I think that's just that is really, really bad for motivation, for team motivation, for personal motivation. And it's like, it makes me really unhappy. And it, it's not being unhappy in the way of like someone's yelling at you. It's just being like unfulfilled. And And I think that's one of the, since I've been here, I've certainly never felt that. And, you know, I've, it's been completely the opposite. And I think that's, you know, that's been really great. And I hope that could, you know, that should continue.
0: Yeah, for, for me, I, I think, when you're fulfilled at what you do for eight hours a day, you have that glow, that feeling about you that I've accomplished something. I've helped other people accomplish things as well. And when you, when you uplift people that way, I think you create an environment where you grow together. That's one of the joys of being able to bring your entire self to a job with all of your skills. And people talk about work life balance, but if, if you love what you do, you infuse your life into your work. And it just becomes one, right? You're an engineer. You don't stop thinking about your problem at five p.m. It's yeah. kind of always in the back of your mind, and you want to finish it no matter what time of the day it is. But you know, if you have to, you know, deal with uh, whatever you want to call life in your work-life balance, if you have to do it at ten a.m. or twelve p.m., that's fine too, because it's uh, you know we, we tend to trust people in that way, right? You're here because you want to be here, and. You enjoy doing interesting problems.
1: Yeah. Speaking of things that stood out to me at Ampere, <laughs> I was kind of shocked by the whole. Oh yeah, just like just throw in your hours, like it'll be fine. the The whole it it's so so casual here, and that that's really pleasant to be
2: in. And I tell um, you what, that doesn't mean that people don't work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like <clears throat> this is. Uh, it it is apparent if you just walk through the office like how hard people are working but the trust the trust you know we're all adults and we're here because we want to like you said and we trust everyone to do what the right thing is for them and for the you know and for the job so
1: earlier when you said phone it in did you mean like mentally clocked out or okay i just wasn't really familiar with that yeah
0: yeah, we, we had phones back in the day. Yeah, so back to you, you <laughs> had to dial a d- phone. We didn't have FaceTime.
2: <laughs> you can't FaceTime it.
0: I'd like to know a little bit about the reasons why you're on the path that you're on now. Is there something in your childhood, you know, did you play with mechanical pencils and take them apart and put them back together, that kind of thing? Like, what what put you in a place where you said, I want to be an engineer? Because a lot of people, they don't know what engineering is back in you know grade school and high school,
1: yeah, so this is this is actually kind of funny, so my mom at Stanford did developmental behavior I'm not sure if I'm getting that right, but it's it's like basically how to raise children, so she's always been like looking for different new ways to kind of i so I'm home I probably should have started with this but I've been homeschooled up until college and she was always trying to find like new ways to teach us things. So from a very young age, I've played educational video games. Since my dad was big into engineering, we've always had computers in the house since like as long as I can remember. So I've interacted with computers for a long time and I got into video games. And then my dad was like, you know, you're spending a lot of time playing video games. Maybe you should make them. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he got a book, How to Invent Your Own Computer Games with Python. And so I started learning a little bit of Python. And around that time, got kind of gradually introduced to Arduinos. My dad, like, we like worked on some project trying to like make a make that thing play Pac-Man or something like that. But then I got into electronics in kind of a big way, and I started doing circuit board design. And eventually, I was looking into making a power metering board, and I found, like, an Atmel chip. (laughs) I was a big Atmel fanboy back then. Um, I used to work for them back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I found an Atmel chip that does power monitoring. And one of the things I love about electronics and circuit board design and all that is the barrier to entry is actually a lot lower than people think it is. If you have a little bit of background knowledge, and if you go into a data sheet and you just kind of read it, not necessarily start to finish, but you like start at the start and you kind of start to skim through it and try to look for the interesting stuff there are reference designs and all kinds of things you you hardly have to do any work yourself to get a working design built so and then there are like all these there's like Oshpark and all these other services so you can just send off your files and get a board back a couple of weeks later and it's ridiculously cheap too so
0: anyways did you ever Order parts from Jamico?
1: Not Jameco, but DigiKey.
0: DigiKey? Man,
2: DigiKey yeah, is my always, favorite. Back when I, was in, when I was in college, we had to buy everything DigiKey.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I I had a chance. I was working in a startup before I worked at Intel, and uh, we visited the Jameco warehouse in, uh, it's like near Redwood City. Oh, man. And... It was so cool to just go and meet the guy who takes the little parts and puts them in the in the envelope for you and ships it off and you're like, wow, like there's all these transistors, you know resistors and caps and all sorts of colors of the caps and and it's just like it's geek heaven yeah How about you, John? So what what's your origin story? Is there something that happened in your
2: childhood that put you on this path? All right, so I uh, was thinking about this question had a couple minutes here to think about it, and sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit of a weird engineer. When I was a kid, I didn't build any electronics. I really, I really like, I did in school, but other than school, I didn't do any, didn't do any projects myself. I was always just really good at school, like school in general, like every, every aspect, everything. And if I, I've always really liked writing and literature and music, as well as math and science throughout my whole life, I've been kind of a big dabbler. And I think for my brain, like I, I told this story before of how I decided to start in computer engineering at college. And I think that my brain needs different things to be happy. So when I go home, I have no desire to do engineering work. I really, I really don't. I like to you know, I t- decided to start learning guitar. I love video games, of course, because I have to like video games. I love reading and I I really do like writing a lot. It's one of those things that I say to myself that if I were, you know, if I were independently wealthy and didn't need to have an engineering job, I would probably give writing a shot. And, and I don't think it would be easy necessarily, but, but I really, um, I don't think you find a whole lot of engineers that say that they really love to read and write. They love literature, but that's kind of been my, like that's kind of been a thing for me for my whole, you know, ever since I was pretty much ever since I, like I've always read a ton, but writing has been one of my things ever since I was in high school. And it's just one of those, um, one of the things that I find I need to light up different areas of my brain to really be happy. So how I ended up doing engineering was basically because my enjoyment and my enjoyment for math and science, what I realized that, what I realized that I really like, and that, and I think I'd probably not realize this until even after college and after I started through my career, is that I always want to understand the big picture of everything. And I sort of navigated myself to the part of the boundary of logic design, microarchitecture, architecture that allowed me to really understand, you know, understand big picture things. Like I know a fair bit about circuit design, like I haven't done it in a while, but, and I don't like, I don't intend on doing it as a day job, but I really value and really like that big picture view of the way things work. And I'm not as much of a tinkerer as a lot of people here, but I think that one of the, one of a team's strengths is that you have different types of people and you have people that are tinkerers you have people that are you know people on my team are head down work figure out what they're gonna do work super hard random hours just get it done and you know you don't even have to ask, you don't have to talk to them about it until until it's done And there are other people like, but for me, it's always been a, okay, let's figure out what the big picture is. Let's try to make some decisions, you know, try to play like make some decisions, plan up front and then figure out where we're going. And that's always... Diversity
0: of thought in a team, I think is really important because it starts, it helps you poke at the corners of the design when people think differently than you. Yeah, I really appreciate it also how you're, you have many parts of your life that you spiral together and activate different parts of your brain and it seems like y- you you spiral them all together upward in a way and your work life is more beneficial because your your reading and your writing and your creative part is also being actuated at the same time
2: and i think to some extent engineering when done right is a creative thing and that's one of the, you know, we've also, we also discussed the, the open problem statement, right? It's, it's creative, creative in a different way. And I think when you apply your creativity to different parts of your life, you kind of get better at creativity, not necessarily at like, you don't get better at Python or you don't necessarily get better at Verilog or whatever, but you get better at creativity.
1: Yeah. I was, I was about to say that two of the things that I associate with engineering are creativity because engineers are always like whenever you run into a problem if the problem was a straightforward thing to solve you wouldn't you wouldn't spend any time on it so the things that are straightforward to solve get solved very quickly and you end up running into the things that are not straightforward to solve and then your creativity really kicks in cuz you have to find the other you have to figure out what it is about the way you're going at this thing that makes it not work and how to go around it or think outside the box approach it from a different angle that sort of stuff
0: and and Um, it has to be an elegant solution so the person who picks it up isn't looking at it and like why did we hire this guy yeah (laughs) and then the other thing i i associate
1: with engineers is a desire to kind of understand down beneath just the why is this the way it is like I think one of the things that drove me into elect- into electrical engineering was I was doing a lot of programming, and my dad kind of filled me in a little bit on what was going on in the background. Like, I had a vague idea of what, of like, malloc and, and Free and the stack and the heap. But the operating system, apart from knowing some basic stuff, I was kind of in the dark. And I also didn't understand, I didn't know how, how CPUs worked. From like an electrical standpoint, and from a logic standpoint, either, I think that's why digital logic really clicked with me. Is it was just revealing. It, it was just pulling the curtains away from all the things that I had wanted to see behind for a long
2: time. That's um, a that, no. That's a re- that's a really great point. I think like part of even more than the maybe I want to tinker with things. It, in a lot of – I think a common thing amongst a lot of engineers, myself included, is you want to understand how the world works. And like, you know, there's a lot of ways you can understand how the world works. And you can be interested in a whole lot of different things that all sort of go down that same path. Like you can read read about quantum physics because, yeah, you want to understand how that part of the world works or politics or, you, or, uh, you know, biology, chemistry, like anything.
1: Yeah, I mean I think – I think the tinkering is a product of wanting to know how things work. Yep. Yeah.
0: So that was a wonderful philosophical discussion on engineering and careers. It's uh, really, really amazing to have you both here sharing your thoughts and your processes and what's going on in your head. So I want to want to thank you both. Tony Fulbert from University of Washington here at Ampere for the summer, and John Perry here from Virginia Tech for a much longer time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. My name is Mahesh Madhav, and thanks for listening. Bye bye. Thanks.
2: All right, good. Maybe I can get, can I get philosopher in my title somewhere? I really like, <laughs> like, like chief philosopher?
0: Pontificating on uh, engineering. Yeah, it's chief really Engineering pontiff. Really easy to just say things. Chief pontificating officer? Yeah, you're one CPO. <laughs>